to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you unstained at his glorious throne. To Jesus, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and honor. To Jesus alone. If you travel to Israel and visit any number of the Holy Land sites, the sites made famous by the Old and New Testament, you can be almost guaranteed that wherever you go, there are going to be crowds of people. You go to Bethlehem now, there are going to be crowds there, especially in the weeks leading up to Christmas. If you visit the ruins of the old fishing village of Capernaum, located along the Sea of Galilee, a, a place where Jesus had as his base for ministry for a great deal of, of his time, you're going to see a lot of people passing through there. And of course, there are the sites in the old city of Jerusalem, all kinds of crowds. There is one particular site which, at least up until now, does not seem to have been on a lot of people's radar. It is a site located northeast of the Dead Sea. It was excavated fairly recently. If you take your rental car and drive towards the site using your GPS, you will gradually see a, a gray, rocky, gravelly, high elevation out in the middle of nowhere, very remote. And you will drive up, and there's a parking lot that you can pull into, and then you walk the rest of the way up. And then when you reach the top, you will see the excavated ruins of what the first century historian Josephus has identified as the palace of Herod Antipas. The palace of Herod Antipas. And Josephus also identifies this very spot as the place where Herod Antipas arrested and brought John the Baptist to, to languish in a, uh, in a dungeon on those palace grounds, and eventually it was also at that site where Herod Antipas ordered John the Baptist executed. So as we stand there in our mind's eye on this fairly recently excavated site, let's do some time travel and go back to the time when John finds himself in this dungeon on the site of these palace grounds. Earlier in his ministry, John the Baptist had been boldly proclaiming that the Messiah was about to make himself known. And he prepared people's hearts for the arrival of the promised Savior from sin by calling them to repentance. Standing at the Jordan River, people came by thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, and he baptized thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands. And he specifically identified Jesus of Nazareth as that promised Messiah. 
he personally baptized Jesus of Nazareth. And as John the Baptist was speaking to his listeners one day, Jesus of Nazareth walked by, and John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now things had changed for John. He had publicly called out the king, Herod Antipas, for his lifestyle in going against what God's word has to say about marriage. Herod Antipas didn't like that very much, and so he ordered John the Baptist arrested, brought to his palace, and put into a dungeon. And there John sat, and he sat and he sat. You know, when you are stuck in a dreary dungeon and time passes by slowly and you are in a remote region to begin with, those four stone walls surrounding you can begin to seem much more real than any promises of God. And that's why John the Baptist needed assurance. And so he sent a couple of his disciples from Herod Antipas's palace to find Jesus. And he came to, he sent to Jesus a question. And the question was this. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John the Baptist, languishing in that cell, needed assurance. Ever have a moment where the unpleasant things in your life surrounding you begin to seem much more real than the promises of God? Perhaps the stress of your job in this moment seems a lot more real than God's promises. Perhaps caring for an elderly parent who's grappling with dementia, that that struggle seems a lot more real in this moment than God's promises. Perhaps rising prices in the grocery store and everywhere right now are seeing, seeming a lot more real than God's promises. Perhaps in, in seeing a, a deterioration of your, of your long-term financial plans seems more real than God's promises. Maybe the strains in your marriage seem a lot more real in this moment than any promises from God. Perhaps a crisis in your family is dominating your perception of how real God's promises are. Perhaps a chronic illness or, or chronic pain that has entered your body and is just staying there seems a lot more real than the seeming abstraction of God's promises. 
Perhaps there are hard memories from your past that from time to time come flooding back to haunt you, and they seem more real. Perhaps it's the frantic pace of the present that seems to dominate any perception of God's promises. Perhaps you are reeling from the death of a loved one, and the grief of that death seems a lot more real than God's promises. Perhaps it's unease about the future. Or perhaps it's a dark pocket of of loneliness and isolation that in this moment in time they seem a whole lot more real than the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, all of this is evidence that in your sinful weakness and mine, you and I need assurances from our God It's not enough to say, well, I learned about God's promises when I went through Sunday school or when I went through the grades of my Christian school and and I've got them memorized, I've got them down, now I'm going to go on with my life. You and I need assurances from our God all the time. And when we do not seek them out, we do so at our peril. Because the devil and this world and our old sinful nature are actively working all the time to cut us off from the only Savior you and I are ever going to have. Jesus' answer to John. Jesus' answer to John is this. Go and tell John. What you hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, brothers and sisters, it's vital for you and me to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not simply citing some impressive miracles that he has been doing lately to try to convince John, that he is the Messiah, he's doing far more than that. He is pointing out specifically that what he is doing is specific fulfillment of specific prophecies given by the Old Testament prophets as to what the Messiah was going to do. The prophets of the Old Testament said that the Messiah would give sight to the blind, that the Messiah would make the lame walk, that the Messiah would cleanse the leper, that the Messiah would make the deaf hear, and that the poor would have good news preached to them. And then on top of that, Jesus even added that the dead are raised. God's Old Testament prophets had specified all the different things that the Messiah was going to do. And now here was Jesus saying, I am doing them. Therefore, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. And with that, John, as he he sat in that lonely, dark cell, received the assurance from Jesus he needed. But then Jesus turned to the crowd 
because he knew that in this little exchange, some people in the crowd may have begun to think, worry about, about John the Baptist. Maybe John's resolve is, is pretty shaky. And so now Jesus turns to the crowd to stick up for John. This is what he tells the crowd. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And here is how John the Baptist is more than a prophet. Jesus says, This is he of whom it is written from the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. How can Jesus say that? How can he say so definitively that of all the prophets, that John the Baptist is the greatest? After all, as far as we know, John never performed any miracles like a lot of the Old Testament prophets did. Perhaps even his, his, uh, the, the, his delivery style, perhaps that wasn't as, as dramatic as some of the Old Testament prophets. But then Jesus reminds us why John is the greatest. It's because by God's grace, John the Baptist possesses the position of serving as the forerunner for the Savior of the world. But Jesus isn't done. One more sentence. He says, No one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And that brings us to you and me. As great and awesome and as outstanding as John the Baptist was, you and I have a privilege. He never had. Not long after this, Herod Antipas executed John by beheading. And the moment John the Baptist died, his soul went home to heaven through faith in his Messiah. While he lived on this earth, however, he never got to see Jesus complete his mission. He never got to see what Jesus specifically was going to do. We have. We have. God the Holy Spirit has recorded for you and me specifically what Jesus went on to do to rescue you and me. He went on to live a holy life in our place, on our behalf, the life that a good God expected us to live, but in our sin we have failed to live. And then he took upon himself all of our sinful failures, including all of the moments in which you and I have given in to doubt, and we have given in to anxiety, and we have given in to fear instead of trusting the promises of God. And he carried them all to the cross, and in his suffering and death, he washed them all away.
and then to assure us that he really is who he claims to be and that he really has done what he has promised to do, Jesus, three days later, raised himself back to life. So that now in him, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, and we belong to him. In that security, brothers and sisters, and in light of what you and I have, when the hard moments come, not if, when the hard moments come, and you and I need assurance, it's all here. It's all here in the living and enduring Word of God. What's more, Jesus himself is here through his word and sacrament. He is here to be our strength. He is here to be our assurance. He is here to carry us through. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.